This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Okay, so here we are at uh, Christchurch Wednesday evening, and we're studying the last words of Moses. And we're up to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, it's taken us about 18 weeks to get here. So, you know, we're pushing right along. But um, there's a lot, I think, in the text, in the commentary of what Moses is saying to his people as they're about to um, enter the promised land, uh, knowing that success could quite possibly lead to failure and how he prepares the people for that eventuality and, uh, and the future um, after they've repented. And we will begin um, with a word of prayer. Can I please call on my brother Neville to, to lead us in prayer? Yep, certainly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your provision in so many ways, Lord. We thank you for the way that we can meet together and that your spirit is not bound. So, Father, we pray that you'd honor us by your presence corporately and lead us into new understandings from your word, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, going over the material from last week, Deuteronomy 9, uh, we'd studied verses 11 to 29. Here's a rough summary of our of our, of our uh, effort together. The number 40 occurs frequently in the Hebrew Scriptures. Examples include the reigns of Saul, David, and Solomon were all 40 years. The Israelites wandered for 40 years in the desert. The reigns of Noah fell for 40 days and nights. God gave Nineveh 40 days to repent. The number is associated with testing, endurance, hardships, and overcoming in order to become more spiritual, receive a blessing, be, be rewarded with a divine answer, or knowing the will of God. In Moses' case, Moses' first fast of 40 days was rewarded with the words of God from the finger of God. Immediately, God tells Moses to arise and return to the Israelites, as the people of Moses have rebelled. Once the rebellion occurs, they are no longer called the people of God. God has examined the people and concluded they are stiff-necked, a stubborn bunch. God says he is going to destroy the Israelites and repopulate with the descendants of Moses. However, his judgment is not immediate. He waits for the intercession of Moses. Moses returns to the people and destroys the tablets. But what gives Moses the right to destroy something so special, so unique, and so sacred from God. The rabbis retell the sacred history in a midrash that describes the words of God as living, moving, constantly teaching new wisdom, and sensitive to sin, that the very word of God left the tablets before being destroyed. And this introduces the theology that the word of God is alive, something we see developed more in the New Testament. The Exodus narrative does not mention Moses fasting for 40 days and nights during his intercession with God. The retelling by Moses in Deuteronomy does. What is so important that Moses adds it here? Moses intercedes for the sins of others with no sacrifice being offered other than prayer. The blood portion of the covenant has already been offered and is not offered again. This is important for Israel to learn. 
Sacrifices are for unintentional sin and repentance and intercession are for the intentional ones. Moses also includes his intercession for Aaron, who is the high priest of God and failing in his duties. Aaron, who has entered the tent of meeting and spoken with God, he has performed miracles during the plagues of Egypt. He is garbed with the breastplate, enabling direct communication with the divine, and he still enters into idolatry. And Moses prays for him. So what can we learn here from this example of Moses? Who should we pray for? In this case, we should always pray for our shepherds, even when they fall. Etched into the national memory of Israel is the intercessory prayer of Moses, as is the internalization of sin in which the golden idol is crushed and consumed by the sinner. Okay. Rarely in the Bible do we find recorded the prayers of the heroes of God. The prayer of Moses is not recorded in Exodus. As with most biblical heroes in the Torah, he talks directly to God. However, in Deuteronomy, he prays, thus disclosing how Israel should relate to God in the future through prayer. So how does Moses pray? He begins in a prostrate position before the Lord and changes the possessive adjectives that God has used to describe the people. God had called sinful Israel the people of Moses. Moses reminds God that they are actually his inheritance. Moses prays all the things that God has done. He prays about God's past faithfulness, his past oaths and promises to the patriarchs, of his power and outstretched arm toward his people, and of his name and glory before the nations. So we see in Moses that prayer is founded on solid reasons. Okay. So that was uh, the last part of uh, chapter 9. And now we begin with chapter 10. And um, it's not really a big chapter, so we might actually get a fair way through it. So I'll read it. Uh, I'm reading it in an NIV. It really doesn't matter what version uh, or even what language. Um, and so for the recording, Deuteronomy chapter 10. At that time, the Lord said to me, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and come up to me on the mountain. Also, make a wooden ark. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Then you are to put them in the ark. So I made the ark out of acacia wood and I chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hands. The Lord wrote on these tablets what he had written before, the Ten Commandments he had proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. And then I came back down the mountain and put the tablets in the ark I had made, as the Lord commanded me, and they are there now. The Israelites traveled from the wells of Benay Yakan to Moserah, there Aaron died and was buried, and Eliezer, his son, succeeded him as priest. From there they traveled to uh, Goda and on to Jotbathoth, a land with streams of water. 
at that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister and to pronounce blessing in his name, as they still do to today. That is why the Levites have no share or inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their inheritance, as the Lord your God told them. Now I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, as I did the first time. And the Lord listened to me at this time also. It was not his will to destroy you. Go, the Lord said to me, and lead the people on their way, so that they may enter and possess the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and he loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, uh, for yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. Now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. All right. There's a lot there. Okay, so on an initial reading, without thinking too much, was there anything there that jumped oh. out at you when you <laughs> read this passage? Yes, finally. Who's here? Hey, Lila. Aaron, was that when it talks about um, the Levi, and at that time the Lord separated the Levi's for him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like towards the end when they're going into the promised land. Yes, the timing seems a little interesting. Uh, I can't, can't see us clearly. <laughs> okay. So, anything else? Uh, yeah, I, I, something that occurred to me. Aaron died um, after, during, after he was giving this, the, the second set of commandments, which is interesting because when Aaron formulated the golden calf, while he, they were waiting for the first one. Um, I don't know if it means anything, but that's just, it makes a point of saying that Aaron died. Yeah. Um, it, what's going to be interesting is when we get to it, we'll see that um, it seems a little out of place. Aaron seems to have died in several places. Mm. So that's, but, that's but, pretty, but, pretty special. Yeah. Apparently high priests can do this. It, it also make, makes a point, Moses makes a point of mentioning the ark. Yeah. Yeah, it does. He hasn't, he hasn't done it yet, 
Um, but so this is his, his time to, to tell us that we have a holy relic. Yeah. I have a question. I have a, an observation question. <laughs> observation, yep. What do you see? No shining face. No shining face this time. And, um, you know, with Shavuot, um, I was kind of like, you know how we always say that the, uh, the first time um, Pentecost, Shavuot, was uh, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and then later uh, the uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples. And then I was thinking, you know, um, the whole concept of the Holy Spirit was actually, it was there at Mount Sinai. And we, we noticed that because um, at some point, Moses, the, the, the spirit that was upon him was shared upon uh, the other the other 70 elders, and so they shared a portion of, uh, well, they shared the Holy Spirit uh, that was given first to him, to the 70, and then we have the same concept of the sharing of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament on the disciples, and then the prophesying in the, uh, the uh, narrative in, in Numbers, and then we have the prophesying in the narrative in Acts. And um, so it's kind of interesting, the whole concept of, yes, the Holy Spirit, Moses' mediator was there, was there, Mount Sinai, it was again there in uh, Golden with the um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then my question is that that's not observed here, that the, uh, the shining face in Hebrew, Karan or Parav, right? Panav, yeah. Karan or Panav. So oh, yeah. the skin on his face shone, it's not given in this text. Could that be, could that have been at the time that's when he could have received the Holy Spirit with that shining face? And what are your observations? And if you want to talk about that later, that's fine. Yeah, it is interesting. They don't mention the shining face thing. And um, you're making reference to uh, this week's Torah portion, aren't you? Yes? Yeah, actually part of that, yeah. <laughs> so this week's Torah portion, for anyone who wants to know, is uh, numbers uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, I think. And, um, and it's, it's got to do with uh, um, Mos uh, Aaron and Miriam do the... Uh, they say bad things about Mo Moses and Miriam gets uh, leprosy and uh, there's a little bit about to tell Aaron how to go up and light the menorah so there's a little thing about light where you put it and stuff but it also has the 72 elders that get the Holy Spirit and start prophesying and then, then, the, and then afterwards the Holy Spirit goes away except on two people Moses says no keep 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 the Holy the Spirit and, and keep prophesying for the community because it's really, really perhaps, yeah. perhaps, Aaron, uh, what, what we look at from Sinai to uh, the Acts is, is a transition from, 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 from an outward law to inward law to the heart. You've got Jeremiah in between, right? Yeah. Well, also notice in this one, um, when, they, when, when Moses talks about what you do for God, it's all mm -hmm. about the heart. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, like you know, we've, we've been wandering around the desert. We've had Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and we've been doing all the Mishkan stuff. It's just not working for us, and so you get the "Come on, boys, circumcise your hearts." And you're like, "Wow, okay, Moses, what are you trying to tell us?" Yeah. Um, and uh, so, could yeah. the skin of his could could the skin of his face shining be that representation of the Holy Spirit? I can't imagine receiving the. Uh, the instructions and, and of course, the, for the building and also the Torah as instruction and not having the Holy Spirit there present. And so could that, that be, uh, you know, a manifestation? 
It, it could be. I mean, it, it doesn't say that the faces of the other guys were, uh, the 72 elders were, um, mm-hmm. uh, were, were shining. But being in the presence of God for so long and fasting for so long and probably having heavenly food, something physically changed with Moses. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a connection, Aaron, between what we see in Moses' face in Sinai and the transfiguration? Again, yeah, could be. Could be something that when you're in the direct presence of God or with some sort of contact with heaven, things happen to you physiologically. Although with Yeshua, with Jesus being transfigured into whatever that means, because um, mm. we're not 100% sure what that means. It was obviously a really good experience for him, um, and it certainly shocked everybody else there. Um, uh, and we're not sure, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a link. Go up on a mountain, get close to God and start shining. Um, looks good for us when we get to the world to come, I think. Okay. All right. Well, question. This is Karen. If I, um, when it says that the Levi were to, um, minister to the Lord, what exactly does that mean? Okay. So, um, uh, in Exodus 19, God calls Israel a kingdom of priests. So you go, great, we're all priests. But then later on uh, in Numbers, uh, God separates this one tribe and says, you're going to be special. You're going to mine your, Israel is my inheritance, but I am yours. So this tribe of the Levites would not get a territory like the other tribes. They would just get a few cities that they could then work and trade and grow crops and things and have families. But they would be the ones who would always minister before, before God. And Does it have anything to do with the law of the offerings, like the burn offering? All of it, yes. It's all, it's all handled by the Cohens and Levites, which is this tribal group. And in particular, the lineage of Aaron. So... His, it gets very specific into who's allowed to be the high priest. It's, it's only going to be this special family group uh, thing. So, Okay, so fast forward in like 2,000 years. Okay. What, how does it relate to us now? I mean, it's talks about the priesthood of the believer in Hebrews, for example. It's the same concept. So God okay. calls the entire community at Mount Sinai a kingdom of priests. So we're all a holy people and we're all a royal priesthood. Isn't that fantastic? It's great. And we have one special high priest who doesn't have any lineage, so he will never change, unlike right. the, the, the human high priests. But at the same time, uh, while we sojourn here, we have shepherds. So at the same time as we are all a kingdom of priests, we also have shepherds, just like the Israelites did. They were all a kingdom of priests, but they also had Cohens and Levites. And... Um, uh, and it's very similar to us now. So we do, we are, on one hand, we are all a royal priesthood. That is true. But at the very same time, there are some of us who have a particular job to lead a community as shepherds. And we should, as Moses has said, look, show, pray for our shepherds, particularly when they fall. Because okay? they, are, they are the ones who are supposed to serve the Lord in a particular way. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. I also have one more question related to what um, I think it was Yvonne was saying. Um, The presence of the Holy Spirit was mainly for people who were conducting special roles. Um, It seems that way, yes. 
like the king, the priests, like like when when um when Samuel started to sacrifice, or he didn't, I can't remember now. When Saul, Samuel gave orders to Saul to wait for him, because Samuel would have been the one that would have had the anointing, if you will, to do yeah. the sacrifice, and and Saul chickened out at the last minute anyway. Yeah, all instructions. But. I, I think, Aaron, where we see that is uh, when it comes to the uh, Pentecost with Peter standing up. I mean, prior to all that, the Lord had opened the disciples' hearts and all those people to what he was, what he was doing, etc. But it seems that only when the fire fell, when the Holy Spirit fell, did he suddenly have a complete revelatory understanding of what was going on to be able to say what he said. Yeah, the right? Spirit and, led him into all truth. Yes. Yeah, and at the same time when the Lord says that the Holy Spirit will convict, okay. etc., the 3,000 were convicted at that point. So something different happened. Yes, the, the kingdom of heaven now has a special agent, a special powerful force, God himself in the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is incredible. Um, uh, we had only seen it in part uh, in the Hebrew Bible, in the in the. In the we are not 100% sure why it kind of worked that way, but it, that's the way it worked. And because it's God's way of working, it's obviously the best way. There's a lot of things there that we can learn, we can understand and, and things. Um, and the blessing for us now is, is we have the seal uh, of the Holy Spirit. And also our responsibility. Because we have the Holy Spirit so close, we have to not grieve the Holy Spirit, which is something we can do, something we don't want to do. All right, so let's have a little look uh, at the text, looking at verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. So, at that time, the Lord said to me, okay, so what time is that then? Anyone know? It's just an interesting way that, they, that the Hebrew starts, okay? It says, Ba'at uh, hahu, uh, at that time. Okay, great. Well, what time was that? Three o'clock. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So what, what's been happening? What, what has Moses been doing? Going up and down the mountain, right? He's been going up and down the mountain. And what's he been doing most recently? Interceding. He's been interceding. So he has been prostrate before the Lord. He has had this 40-day, 40 40-night 40 experience again, um, again, Human bodies cannot exist without water for 40 days. He has been somehow sustained, okay, maybe ministered by angels, and, and, then, uh, and then at that time, whichever, perhaps at the end, um, the Lord uh, speaks very clearly okay, and gives him another command. So what has he been interceding for? The people, not to just... Interceding for the people and his brother, Okay. Yeah. The people have failed. His brothers failed. Everybody's failed. Uh, we don't want to fail God. We don't want to get God's name uh, through the mud. And you would think, okay, out of all this intercession, God might respond with, all right, I'll let him off. Just this, just this once. Right? But you don't get any of that initially. God doesn't say, yep, I heard you. Mm. You know, I'm praying for something, and the Lord's response is not immediately directly what I've been praying for. But Aaron still died. So he did all this intercession for the people and his brother, and Aaron still died. That's yeah, I I, I'm sorry yeah, to keep bringing right. this up. By the way, I, I love your background. Your, your background is really awesome. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, but he, so he did all this intercession, but Aaron still died. That verse just seems totally out of place to me. It's just actually you're 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 very correct. That little bit about Aaron in the text when we get to it in verse six is out of place. Okay, and I'll describe a little bit how it is out of place. But you're right; it's a little out of place. Um, in timing, in the way language is, stuff like that. Um, but okay, so at that time, Moses has been interceding. I, I, please don't kill the people. Please take care of Aaron. And uh, God's response is, go, go, you know, um, get some stonemasonry skills going. Right? Chisel out two tablets like the first ones, okay, and come up to on the mountain. And oh, by the way, also make uh, a cupboard, an aron, an ark. And um, out of wood. All right. So um, when when it's when you, when we see make some make some stone tablets just like the first ones. So what's a good Jewish question to start asking? What do you think, guys? What would you think Can you say it one more time. Say it one okay. more time. Okay. So let's have a look. Moses has been praying. God speaks. Whenever God speaks, it's very important, obviously. And, uh, and God says, make some tablets just like the first tablets. Okay. So, so that must have the law and everything on it. Well, it hasn't got anything on it yet. But What were the first two like? Exactly. exactly. Right. That, would, that is the classic Jewish question. Okay, make them like the first one. All right, well, what are the first ones like? Because you don't get any description. Right? They're just stone. What type of stone? Is it hard stone, white stone, black stone? So you don't know. So if you don't know, what do you do, guys? You ask. You you got a little bit of a midrash going. You've know, you got to create some stuff. So <laughs> they, it, they, the, the, the stone tablets, um, by tradition, are um, a blue sapphire stone. Just, just a tradition. Okay? It's like saying, what was the fruit? Right? It doesn't say apple, doesn't say banana, doesn't say pear. So you tend to gravitate to certain, to certain um, uh, things. Um, and for the Jewish people, the rabbis, they decided that um, it was very special. It was a blue sapphire stone to reflect the heavens, to reflect um, the throne of God, that kind of uh, idea. All right. And, um, and also has to make a box, an arom, okay, a cupboard or what we call the ark. Okay. Um, how big were the stones or how big were they not yes it doesn't say it doesn't say how big they were it doesn't say how heavy they were but apparently you can carry them you can, and, and they're, not, inside they're the not bigger than the box because we know the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant correct so we, yes. inside, so we can start from the uh, interior of the box and come down in size right so here in Deuteronomy you get make an ark of wood. Um, but once you get into Exodus, she give you um, a lot more detail about what it looks like, how big it is, what it's covered into, where you put the poles, who can carry it, who can't carry it. Um, uh, Deuteronomy's not worried about that. Right? Mm. Just make a, make, a, make a box of wood. No mention of gold. Right? No mention of anything of, of cherubim or any of that sort of stuff. Just wood. Um, okay. So, well, what's, the, uh, what's the idea of a second set of stone? 
Redemption is a redemptive type of quality. Yeah. They're gonna have to be redeemed again. Yeah, well, it's in or okay, who who wrote the first ones? The first stones. Who made them? God with his finger. Right, so they're entirely made by God. Okay. Who's making the second set? Moses. Right. So we've got and who's gonna write on them? The Lord. Okay, so in <laughs> verse two, God says I will write on the tablets the words which were on the first tablets, which you broke, right? You know, that sort of, uh, hey, that probably wasn't a good thing, all right? Um, <laughs> but then you are to put them in the ark, okay? So in the first tablets, it's all done entirely by God. In the second set, we've actually got a co-relationship going. Who's working together to make these tablets? Yeah, us and the Lord. Yes, God and man. Interesting, isn't it? It's the Lord says he'll write his law in our hearts. Yep. And we have to do that. We have to do that. So there's a, there's a co-relationship somehow in, in this. Okay. Um, and, and I will write uh, on the tablets the words. Okay, so, so from Deuteronomy, verse 2, seems pretty clear that God is going to write uh, on the tablets. Okay. Um, and, and you are to put on, like, just like the, like the first ones, and you are to put them in the ark. So what, what's the them? The two tablets. Okay. What else could they be? It could be the first set and the second set. Yes. But the first set was broken, though. Yeah. Right. But, and so what happened to them? I don't know. They were in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were never mentioned anymore. Right. There, there is a hint, though, in, because remember, if you're a rabbi, if, you're, if, you're, if you've got, this is the Bible, and you've been reading this again and again and again every year, then you have a look, and it says, put them in the ark. Well, what's the them? And it could be the two tablets that Moses is going to make, or it also could be the two tablets which you broke, right? That sort of, you know, you weren't supposed to do that um, because this is special. These, these, these rocks that God wrote with, even broken, are still not of this earth. Okay? They're still special. And so um, the tradition is inside the ark is what? Both sets, the broken ones and... The ones, the second set. Okay, so, so what did he do? Pick up the pieces after he broke them and put them somewhere? I mean... Wouldn't you? <laughs> it depends how many... <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how big the pieces <laughs> were, right? Yeah. <laughs> and how small, of course, the, the rocks in Sinai are not yeah. small. I, I mean, so, it, it, does, it does make sense. Um, I mean, you don't want to throw away the, the writings of God. I mean, even Absolutely these not. days, you see every, every paper that the name of God is written, you know, it's always treated sacred. That's why you see that. Um, the and they, that's right. They still do to. that. To, you're right, Shimshon. They still yeah. do that to this day. Right? If it's yeah. like something to do with God, you cannot destroy it. You have but to. Is there any indication in the Torah what he did with the pieces once he broke them? No. 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 Uh, just this little hint, just this little hint that uh, put them in the ark. And so what's the them? And then they play around with, well, it could be. And they play around with if these tablets are from God and they're so special, um, uh, then, uh, 
what would you do with them? And you already see that in other sacred items. I don't want to use the word relic, but I'm gonna, okay? So, you know, we make a, we make a snake on a pole. Okay, it serves its purpose. You know, we, you know, whoever looks at it is healed from the snake bites. But what do we do with the snake on the pole once we've finished using it? Making an idol. Right, but take one of you. <laughs> Unfortunately, but that takes a bit of, bit of time for that to happen. But we certainly don't destroy it. Right? And, and what do we do with the holy handkerchief of Antioch? Anyone know? Where is Any, it? Anyone even know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> From, yeah I frame, frame it. so in the book of acts we have you know the scenario the apostles are running around and they're healing everybody uh even their shadows are doing really cool things and they take the the you know the sort of the headband you know that's leached with the sweat of the apostles and they send it to another city and anybody who touches it gets healed Mm. well if you had an object that did that what are you not going to do with it I'll, I'll show you. You're not going to and blow your nose on it and go, right? That's not going to happen. <laughs> um, you're going to treat it with a little bit of respect because it's, it's somehow touched the divine. And, yes. uh, and so you find this stuff all over the world. Bernardo's comment's correct. You know, tell that to the Vatican junk box. Vatican junk box is full of all, you know, bones and bits of relics and stuff. Some of them may be true. Most of them... Most likely not, but um, but here you have uh, just this little hint that with inside the ark um, are, is is all of the, the, the tablets, both sets. All right. So in verse two, God says, "I'm going to write on the tablets." All right, the words that were on the first tablets. Great. So here's the question: Who actually does write on the tablets? I think the second one was Moses, wasn't it? So. Correct. <laughs> yeah, Moses. Yeah, but what does God say here? When it says, I will is write it? on the tablets, God speaking, though. Correct. God is speaking, though. So God wrote on the tablets. Moses didn't write on the tablets. Okay, so read um, Exodus 34, verse 28. Yeah. So we do have to tackle all the tough issues, and we will, and we're going to meet them head on. Uh-huh. Okay, so Exodus 34, verse uh, 28. So starting at verse 27. He, he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Right. So the Lord said to Moses, write down these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you in Israel. So Moses was there 40 days, 40 nights without eating or drinking. Okay, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant of the Ten Commandments. Okay, but does he mean Moses or does he mean God? Because I'm reading English yeah, right now. Very good question, Karen. That is exactly, mm. that's it. Who is the he? And so, no, I, knew, I would need to consult the Hebrew to figure out who the he was because the English no, that, is... That's, that's the right question. Who is the he? And so Deuteronomy... In, 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 in the Hebrew, he says that Vayome um, Adonai El Moshe. So that's Moses. Moses, Moses. Yes, that is. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's it's it's. Um, although I've been in a I've been in a midrash where it was argued, argued so much, and uh, there were people that were for and people that were against, but we couldn't come to an agreement because um, here it says expressly that um, it was Moses. But from the beginning of the text, as we read in um, Deuteronomy chapter ten, it says that um, it was Adonai, you know, saying, "I will, I will." Yeah. What we what we do have in is, is either way, in, in Exodus 34, there is this little leeway as who is the he. In but surely, surely, Aaron, yeah. Aaron when, even when the Lord God says, uh, even though he says to say Jeremiah or one of the prophets, go and say this, I am speaking actually through you, even though Jeremiah, etc., is doing it. So it's the same with Moses. God is actually doing it, but he's telling Moses to do it. Correct. There is that co-relationship in. God and man are working together to create this. And so on, you're right. The, the tension actually goes away when we start thinking like that. That, that um, uh, God is speaking to Moses. Moses is writing. And so in a way, God is also writing. Um, once you actually get into the second temple period, they start to even look at these, this tension together um, about, about like God writing the first one, God speaking to Moses in the second one, and they add an intermediary. They, uh, they, they put another figure in to deal with uh, talking about uh, bringing the word of God from heaven to earth. And who is it? I hear you ask. Any idea? We read them in Acts. Acts 7. Okay. You have a look at Acts chapter 7, verse 53. Okay, this is where Stephen is doing his thing. And uh, the angels. Correct. So he says, But you have received the law that was given through angels, and you haven't even obeyed it. You're like, what? Where are you getting this idea from? You know, the text says God was going to do it. Exodus says God tells Moses to do it. Period. They decide to come up with this idea that angels are doing it. Even Paul says it in Galatians 3.19. The law was given to us mediated through angels. Okay. And um, how does that work? Um it, uh, it's just something that occurs in the Second Temple period. When they're reading the text and they're seeing some of these, these tensions, they create almost like a third way. And, uh, and then that's picked up in the New Testament. Now, but isn't that like adding to the Word of God? Well, in our understanding of the word adding, but we're not of that culture and we're okay. 2,000 years after the, the thing. We have to be very careful with the idea of adding and subtracting because we as Protestants have subtracted. What does that mean? Before we had Protestants, how big was the Bible? It had a lot more books in it. And Protestants come along and we kicked a few out. So we, yeah. we have to be a little careful when we start going, oh, well, yeah. we're not really adding and subtracting. Well, hang on, yeah, you do. Um, and, and Moses actually is doing the same thing. He's doing a little bit of redacting, a little bit of adding here as well in the material that he puts in and leaves out. 
So I'm just as admitting as non-Israelites of the Second Temple period, we most likely are not clear what that means to add and subtract. But the text is still here before us. Moses is still speaking to his people. And, he's, and there's this idea that there's a co-relationship between heaven and earth. That uh, whether it's God speaking or an angel is actually kind of irrelevant per se. But God has man assist him in, in, in the creation of the um, uh, uh, Ten Commandments. And the, the but Aaron, this, the idea of an intermediary, I mean, is really simple. Mm -hmm. Mashiach. Correct. Who's our intermediary? Correct. Yeshua is. Yep. He most certainly is there. Yep. So I don't, I don't see where there's a problem. No, there is, yeah, Roddy, there isn't one. There isn't. In the second temple right. period, the idea of the intermediary was was high and mighty, and Messiah was definitely going to be that that figure. Okay. Yeah, um, Aaron. Yeah. They on the on the part of the intermediary. Why they usually use the angels? Because uh, even when you read in Genesis, when Adonai speaks to Moses. I mean, to Abraham. Then sometimes you see the Lord said to Abraham, and it's, and it's in that same text narrative, you see that it was the angel that was speaking yep. to Correct. Abraham. So that, that's the, that kind of narrative is what they exported into yep. that time. That's and they great. use it because they believe that um, people cannot um, literally interface with God. Correct. And so they try to put the narrative of the angel to to, to fit in so that we're not directly dealing with God because it says no one can see God and live, you know. Yes. And in the Psalms, sometimes the word Elohim is actually translated as angels, which is also picked up in the book of Hebrews. So Psalm 97.7 um, uses the word Elohim and then the corresponding uh, passage in Hebrews 1.6 uses the word angel. And so they, they already knew that. Sometimes when the text had the word Elohim, it was really referring to an angelic being, the angel of the Lord, the Melech HaPanim, the angel of the Lord's presence, you know, these kinds of uh, ideas. There, there's a verse in um, Deuteronomy 33, um, 2, and it says, um, this, well, this is um, the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir, Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. So uh, it's not just the New Testament that said that. I mean, it looks like here it says the same thing. Yes. That, and from that, that there verse, were the angels there yeah. also. The, the, the tradition is that when God left heaven to come to Mount Sinai, he didn't just come by himself. He brings, he brings his angelic host because that's one of his names, isn't it? The Lord Commander, Adonai Tzavah, the Lord Commander of the heavenly, heavenly armies. And, so, uh, it doesn't say Bnei Elohim, does it? No. Because um, that would make it even clearer, Bnei Elohim. That would be great, but someone just says Elohim. Um, and um, the, uh, the, the idea that they, this doesn't give you exact numbers, but the tradition is that um, one angel came down for every person that, there were, that was there at Mount Sinai. So this sort of idea that everyone's got this little guardian angel. Have you ever heard that idea? 
Mm-hmm. Right? We often, we usually, we usually talk about it with about children. You know that somehow kids have guardian angels, and once you get to the age of 13, 14, 21 or something, the angel leaves, and you're on your own. Um, right? <laughs> but, he goes on vacation, right? Yeah, he's on vacation. But but there's also but, but you also have these uh, stories, you know, and, and people say, you know, something pushed me out of the way, and a car just missed me. You know, there's all these sort of ideas that there's that the the uh, the other realm is not that far away. Right? And we saw that in the books of Daniel and stuff, that uh, when people pray, the prayers were, were answered instantaneously. Right? Yeah, very true, Aaron. Remember when uh, Peter was um, released from the jail by the angels and yep. he appeared and he came to the house and the people say, maybe it's his angel. They were, they were <laughs> doubting that it was Peter. And they say, maybe it's his angel. So, yep. you know, they, they've always had that. Um, that, they that, that we have they always did. had that theology that that the angels always go with us, yeah. Yeah, and even to this day, you know, yeah. that uh, the, the idea that angels can be entertained in our homes unawares, that's in the New Testament, in, in Jewish prayer life, uh, when a man goes to the synagogue, he comes back with angels, right? He doesn't come by himself. God sends some of his uh, servants to go with the servants. It's the song, Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem, yeah. that's right. Yes, it is. Shalom Aleichem, Malachia. That's right. Malachel El Elyon. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting yeah. thing because El Elyon is only once in the Bible by Melchizedek. And yet we yeah. talk about the angels of that guy. That's very interesting. All right, so verse 3. So now, now we're going to make the ark. So verse 3, uh, Moses says, So I made the ark out of acacia wood. And I chiseled out two stone tablets, just like the first ones. And I went up on the mountain with the two tablets in uh, my hands. All right? Okay. All right. Um, what, uh, what do you make of that verse? Well, Moses didn't make the ark. He gave right. the ark. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, again, you know, Moses is saying, you know, telling the people, hey, I made the ark. And everyone's going, oh, I don't think so. Um, that guy over there did, you know. Um, so he's the boss, and so when things happen, it's attributed to him. And uh, yeah. but but it is true, he is glossing over the the other guys who actually physically did it. Anyone remember their names? He's the on-site architect. Yeah, he is. He's the kablan, and so we'll just on-site. Benzalel, 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 and. Aholiab. Aholiab, that's right. And Betzalel, you know, they get this Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah, because if you're going to make something that is this precious, that's going to hold things that have touched heaven or heaven has touched, then uh, it can't be just from a normal person. And uh, so it's a skilled person. And Betzalel is the name to this day of the School of Artistry in uh, in Israel. And... um, in, in terms of uh, CMJ's history, who, who trained all the leaders of Betzalel School of Industry in Jerusalem? Who was it, Roddy? Was it Conrad Sheik? That's correct. The House of Industry. The House of yeah. Industry. Conrad the Houses of Industry. Yes, that's right. We had about three of them. So Conrad Schick uh, trained uh, a lot of young Arab and Jewish uh, 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 people in variety of skills, including carpentry, woodwork, and, 
and uh, stone masonry and this, that, and the other, and model making, and they then go away and create and found their own house of industry, which they called Etzelel, named after this guy. All right. Okay, so here in Deuteronomy, we just get the, I'm going to make a box. But that box, okay, that we, we know is very special. Um, what, it, it, uh, what, what other things is it described as? Anyone know? I'm not sure what it's made of. Acacia wood. Okay, it's, it gets made out Shittim of... Wood. Shittim wood, wood, acacia wood. Yeah. There's something there's something about this kind of wood. I don't I'm trying to remember. Um it doesn't decay like other woods do or something like that. Of that I'm not a natural sure. Yes, it's very long lasting. Um yeah. you know, but it's also fairly easy to find in, in those barren areas. Yes. It's like just about the only tree I think you actually can mm. see. <laughs> uh, but um it's the 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 ark is often called the you know, God's footstool. And this is, this is a, a contact point between heaven and earth. Um, in the books in, in Exodus and Leviticus, where's God going to sit? On the mercy seat, literally. Literally, correct. In between the cherubim, he's going to, and, and, and the high priest is going to be able to, to meet him face to face. But that word is not in the Tanakh, the mercy seat. Correct, it's not there. Okay? Absolutely. Yeah, Kapore. It's the Kapurim. It's the cover. It's the called Kapore. the cover in the yeah. in the Tanakh. Yeah. Correct. The actual real Hebrew word Kapore. So what happens to this special box? Ask Jeremiah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this thing that is made by the Holy Spirit that has unearthly objects inside. Right, it's got Aaron's staff. It's got a piece of manna. It's got. Uh, does anyone know where it finally? Uh, Aaron's rod that budded. Any idea where it ends up? No. God hid it. Well, according to Ron Wyatt, it's underneath the crucifixion site. <laughs> I know. I wish that guy would stop. Okay. Um, it's buried in one of the tunnels. Some say that it's in the caves near the Saint Solomon's. Saint Stephen yeah, Church down there by the. Yeah, there's there's so many. Before Gethsemane. So one of the that, that us Protestants decided to subtract, okay, was Second Maccabees. In Second Maccabees, it describes that Jeremiah hides it, okay, and he even tells you where he put it, okay. But because uh, uh, we don't read Catholic Bibles, um, tend to stop. We don't we don't know where that is. However, Revelation tells us where it is. Yeah, it's uh, when the heavens will scroll back and see the ark. That's right. Yes. Yeah. John has that fantastic vision experience, and in Revelation eleven, he sees the he sees the temple, and it, and it says, "And I saw the Ark of the Covenant." It's like with God, you know. But is that the present or is that the prophetic future? That's a good question. But the point is, it ends up back with the guy who made it. But right? then why? Or, why does the no. Bible say the Ark will come into remembrance no more? That's in Jeremiah, yes, where Jeremiah says, you'll never yeah. remember it anymore. And you go, great. So what's John talking about then? <laughs> Can I ask a question? The ark that Moses made down here, surely it's simply a copy of what was in heaven. That's, 
that's one thing. Yep, is that what what John is seeing is not the one that. Also, also, when we find the description in is it Ezekiel when he describes the throne of the Lord God, it's kind of similar in many ways because there you have the the angels of the wings. You see, so. Uh, yep. Very similar. Yep. Well, where did he he found he hid it in um, Jeremiah? Sorry. Hi. <laughs> where did he say that he hid it? That Jeremiah put it. Okay, you ready for this? He hides it in the in the tomb of Moses. But yeah. nobody knows who that is. No, no one knows where that is either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so you're never going to find it. <laughs> I've, I've, seen, I've seen the signpost on the way down to Jericho. Yeah, I know, I know. What in I know exactly where it is. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And there is also this, um, there's also this um, big um, talk about it being shipped down to Ethiopia and hidden somewhere. Yes, yeah. that's the, that's the uh, Ethiopian thing, and they will square black and blue that they have it. They really will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where do you think it is, Aaron? Uh, I go with Jeremiah saying, you shall remember it no more. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. It's not here on earth. Yeah. The danger is yeah. that humans yeah. worship it, right? Or Sorry. worship the bones of Moses? I think the danger is humans would worship it or worship the bones of Moses, like anything, something, you know, something like that. Don't you think? As as humans, we have this tendency to embrace idolatry unbelievably fast. Uh, we see it with Israel. You know, we one reason why we never know if this is the mountain or not is we would worship the mountain, not God who revealed Himself on it. Uh, you know, we we make a, a healing a healing uh, totem. But instead, we worship it as instead of delighting in its power of healing. But then, Aaron, maybe maybe we're never supposed to find the holy handkerchief of Antioch because I mean that would be nice. We could cure cancer, just zip it around the world. But then that would become God, and that's not good enough. So where did Harrison Ford find it then? Uh, he just <laughs> he read he had a script, man. It was so not fair. Uh, he just picked up the manual and he went out and did it. Okay, I want one of those. All right. That was in Cairo, in Cairo where it, he found it. It was in Cairo, yeah. yeah. So, uh, verse 4. So, here we get it, we get a clear. The Lord wrote on these tablets, right, what he had written before Ten Commandments, which he had proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of fire on the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Okay, so. Even though we've got an Exodus account where God is instructing Moses to do the writing, Moses really wants to tell the people that this is actually from God, right? Even though there's a lot of co-sharing going on, what Moses is making a point is you have to understand, I know I broke the first lot, but these ones are just as special. Right? This, is, this is just as special. Don't, don't think it's second class. Don't think that you know, um, they're not as good because uh, they're actually going to go together, right? And, um, and it's on the day of the assembly, okay, uh, which, of course, when you get to those sort of things on the day, uh, which day are we talking about? Not exactly sure which day uh, we're, we're talking about. So we don't know the, the timing of, but they seem to recognize a particular day to get the second set. Okay. All right, verse 5. And then I came back from down the mountain and I put the tablets in the ark I had made as the Lord had commanded me. And they are there now. 
Right. So, um, I'm going to go back to verse 4 because I forgot to ask a question. Why does God need something written? Maybe it wasn't for God. Maybe it was for us or the Israelites. Um, yes. Yes. Um, Sharon, I'm going with you. I think that's a pretty good one. Um, yeah. just, like in, just, like in this week's, this, like, just like in this week's Torah portion, the Torah portion, Numbers chapter 8, starts with Moses uh, telling Aaron, go light candles in the menorah. Make sure that, you know, when we build the Mishkan, we've got this little menorah thing, make sure you go, go put some light. And we ask the question, why? What, does God need light? Of course he doesn't need light. He is light. We need his light. What, what's, what's this got to do with it? And it creates this symbiotic um, union. God and man working together to, to make light to the, to the world. God is light. God could flood his light to the nations. That's fantastic. But who's going to reflect that? Well, we are. And, um, you know, why does God need something written? What's so important about a book? Well, it's his word. It is very important. And is he going to put his word? May I ask a question regarding that? Could it also be a legal issue? Could be. It'll, it'll probably remember. There's multiple levels of meaning on everything. So yes, one aspect of this is actually going to be a, it's a covenant. Yeah. It is. A, it is a binding contract here. You know, I'm going to do this. And you're going to do this. Um, like they get to bad, right? Yeah. And and so write this. There's a lot of write this down. In fact, Deuteronomy is the only book of the Bible that says it's a book. Okay, it's one of, isn't it, it's one of very, it's the only book that says this is a book. You don't get this is a book in Genesis. You don't get this is a book in Exodus. Um, you, you always, in Deuteronomy that says it's in this book. Even the Gospels don't say this is a book. Right? Um, they say they're writing stuff down, but they don't say that they've collected it into a, into a, into a compact thing. Only Deuteronomy. And something, something very interesting also, of course, maybe the legal aspect and, and the remembrance. But the, it's interesting that if the Israelites, God is always giving them memorials to remember, like the 12 stones when they cross the river. So it's interesting. I love that aspect of, of mm -hmm. memory. And we've kind of been trying to do that at home, like important events kind of have some memorial to remember. So that's another interesting aspect that he's always having them either through pillars or stones or the ark of the angels or, you know, etc. You know, I think it's just... I think it's really valuable. Yeah. I think it's a good memory aid and memory is so important to God. Also, if you look in Romans, I think it is, where they talk about how people will be judged. You know, the Gentiles will be judged with, even though they, they do the law, but it's even though they don't know it. Yes. The law is very important regarding judgment. Yes. Yes, all judgment scenes seem to have um, uh, uh, a book involved, or in, in some cases, multiple books. Uh, yeah. And, and, and names are written in books. But if God's got this fantastic memory, why do we actually have to physically put it in a book for? It's a thing. And where does God... He wants this written down. It is written down. And then it's stored inside the ark. And where's the ark going to get put? 
Holy are you talking God. like now? Where is the ark now? No, no, no. Like, so holy Moses, Moses is going to come down the In the holy of holies. He's going to put it in the holy of holies. Yeah, so put in the holy of holies. He's going to be protected by this tent. He's going to be guarded and served by by these Cohens and Levites. In relation to the rest of the people, where is it? In the tabernacle, in the inner tabernacle. Okay, yeah. In the middle. It's in the, yes. There's the outer tabernacle and the inner tabernacle. It would have been in the very very center near the mercy seat. Where does God want to put his word? In the midst of the people. It's hidden from the people. In the midst of the people. I want to put it in the midst of the people. And I want to put it in the midst of you. You like write it on your heart. It's going to be in the middle. Um, and uh, it's going to be in one of the names of the tent, the Mishkan, is the tent of meeting. Okay, that's one of the one of the many names that this tent is. God actually wants to physically meet with His people. He doesn't want to keep them aloof. He doesn't want to be removed from them. He physically says, "Even I'm even going to call the place where I put my word, where I sit, the place of meeting." Because guys, I really want to meet with you. Uh, I got okay, so I have a question though. In the where the mercy seat was, where the only high priest could go in, I'm trying to remember what was in it. There was the, the menorah. There was the table of showbread. But the, there was the the, the, the menorah. The table of the showbread. The menorah was not the holy of holies. That's before the parochet. Okay, but that was before the holy of holies, the yeah. menorah. Yeah. Okay, and then the table of showbread yeah. was yeah. where. It's opposite the menorah, and then the okay, so where was the ark the same place with the menorah. And the incense so the ark was right next to the menorah. No, the incense, the altar of incense on That's the other right. side. No, there's an altar of incense, a table of showbread, and a and a lamp, a light, a light source. So where was the ark? Where was the ark? Inside the holy of holies. The holy of holies. So was it, it was near the mercy seat. That is the the kaporet. It's called a kaporet. The mercy seat and the yeah. So the and 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 this this uh, this ark, it doesn't just stay put. When it's moved, where does it go? It goes in front, right? In front of what? The people. So okay, so they had there was a gathering at the assembly. They brought the ark out. No, 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 no. I understand. So the the ark lives inside a tent. And the okay. tent stands still, but whenever the community moves, and they moved like 17 times. Cloud. Yeah, they moved a lot, yeah. <laughs> okay. It goes in front, and sometimes oh, they get out yeah. to battle. Oh, okay. Right? And it's wrapped in something very special. So the inner tabernacle is made of this material called tachash, which no one knows how to translate it. It's... it's um, some translations call it badger skin. Some say it's dolphin. Some say it's uh, manatee, dugong. Mm. Uh, so, you ready for this? Some rabbinic sources say it's unicorns. All right, like they really go wild. <laughs> and you go, really, unicorns? Is, is this the reason why we don't have them anymore? Because you killed them all and made it. <laughs> um, it's it's a thing that no one knows what it's called. However, what is interesting is when they take the ark. The, sorry, the tabernacle down, um, they, it, they wrap the ark in tachash. Right? So it, it's not, it wasn't exposed. It wasn't this golden box that you, know, you sometimes see. It was actually a wrapped 
item. And then in Ezekiel 16, 10, God says, I'm going to wrap you in Tachash. Okay, okay so they, but nobody but knows the, what this Tachash even is. No, but the point they is, don't have a clue. Think, think like this, Karen. Something so special, God wants his word in the center of his community. It's going to lead, it's going to go. I'm going to wrap myself in it, this Tachash. And then, because I love you so much, I'm going to wrap you in it. God is going to wrap us in the same stuff he wraps himself. Now, that's pretty special, right? And you get that. Tuchush in Tachash. Yes, that's right. <laughs> they put your Tuchush in, in Tachash. Yeah, a bit, a bit of Yiddish kite going on, right? But, uh, yeah, so. And, uh, and so that's what Moses comes down, puts him in the box, puts them in the center of the community, and he can say to the people, and it's right there. Everything I'm telling you is 100% true because it's still there to, to this day. You also see some, some, some of our heroes in the New Testament say that as well. You know, we, we have the tomb of David. You all know where that is. You all know where this is. You've seen Jesus do this. You know, it's all pretty good. Then in verse 6, 6 to 9, something happens. All of a sudden, out of the blue, when we've been talking about stone tablets and the Word of God, and all kinds of really cool stuff, suddenly it switches completely and we start talking about Aaron and his death. All right. So. In my Bible, it's in parentheses. Yes. Now, but why would it be in parentheses, brother? Um, uh, kind of added later. Yes, it is. This is um, the, the Torah. I know some people get nervous when we talk about it like this, but try not to. It shows that there's been a redactor. Somebody's come along as they're collating all the material and putting <laughs> stuff in different places. And some of the things end up in the wrong place. Or maybe the wrong place is not the right word. It just ends up in a place that seems out of place. We're talking initially in first person. I did this. I did this. God spoke to me. Then all of a sudden, we start talking in third person about something completely unrelated. And if you actually took verses 6 and 9 out, the text would flow a lot better. Okay? Um, but instead, you end up with this, somebody else has come along and shoved the death of Aaron in there. Not sure why. Maybe they just figured they got to put it in there somewhere. Um, I don't think they needed to do that because we've already got it recorded in Numbers, but we have it. <coughs> and so what it says is, the Israelites traveled from the wells of Benay, Jakan to Mosera, okay? um, which is completely out of context because we're actually still at Mount Sinai. There Aaron died and is buried, and Eleazar, his son, succeeded him as priest. Okay. And then it gives you some more travel. Verse 7, from there they travel to uh, Dugoda and uh, Jot Batath and uh, in the land of streams of water. And then there's that separation <coughs> of the tribe of, of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, I looked up, uh, just so you know, Oliav. Oliav's from the tribe of Dan. One of the guys who made the Ark of the Covenant from the tribe of Dan. You know, always give Dan a really bad name. Right? They're always right. so bad. Well, you know what? Some of them are really good. And uh, this guy's a good guy too. So give some kudos <laughs> to Dan uh, when he yeah. gets it. 
All right. Um, why do you think we have this discussion about Aaron? It's interesting that he actually died 40 years after the golden calf. Yep. And uh, could it have been uh, just a warning for this generation to be careful if you don't follow the Torah, the mitzvot, if you don't follow the commandments, you know, this, things could happen. Could mm -hmm. it be, um, you know, uh, in that sense? Moses has prayed for Aaron. Um, and so you would expect a good response, but instead you get his death. But in the, in the real world, in numbers, you had a good response. Um, yeah, but Aaron did, Aaron did like a major sin. I mean, I know that sins are not really quantified. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, but he made the golden calf of the Israelites bowed down and worshipped. And while Moses was on the mountain, this wasn't, you know, he didn't just like lie to his mother. Or, yeah. I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, but it's just. I'm I, I not 100% sure, but uh, because in, in the God forgives the people and Aaron and continues Aaron as the high priest. So, uh, why did and, he and, die? And keeps his lineage. Yeah, his so, son is still acting yes. as. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we, we knock off a few other sons who do bad things. Um, uh, you know, with, with uh, Nadav and Avihu. So, so God does show us that his holiness does have consequences if, if we transgress it. But in the, in the, the, the Numbers passage, uh, in Numbers 20, okay, if we just have a quick look, or it'll have um, Numbers 20, 22. Okay, that's actually which talks about the death of Aaron which comes after the water from the rock experience. Okay. Aaron, sorry, this, these few verses, uh, uh, 6 to 9, is it surely not a, Moses is actually focusing in on the priesthood and what it's about, right? Because he's, he's chosen the very first high priest, Aaron begins with him, he dies, and now he's telling you that this is the priesthood. It, it's as though he suddenly has to insert that in. Right? Could do. But is it, is it in a sense, perhaps yeah. the reason why it's inserted there is just a, from a, a future point of view, when you look back and read this, or even to try and open the, yeah. the rabbi's understanding, that this priesthood is not the, an everlasting, that the high priest is dying. The, this priesthood is not like the Jesus' priesthood in, in that context. This priesthood, they, um, it says here that they, the Levites have an inheritance with the law, but if Aaron dies, his, his son has to take his place. So this, it's, it's not just like, I can't explain what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, 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 I get it. The idea that, that it's in here makes us ask questions. We have to ask these questions because it looks like it's out of place. But even if it is out of place, it doesn't matter because it's certainly out of timeline. We're at Mount Sinai because back once you get into verse 10, we're back at Mount Sinai. All right? Aaron. Yeah. It could be something as simple as this. I mean, the book is written to the people at that point in time. It's written for us, but yes. it's written to them. Moses, he's telling a story, and 
he's been praying for his brother, and now we have the, the giving of the second set of tablets, maybe it's put in there as a quick reminder, okay, Aaron's not dead. He's going to die later on in the future. The Levites are still there. Now we're going to carry on to where I'm at right now. It's possible. It could be, yep. And going along with going along with Vida's line, it also right. also has that aspect of you know this priesthood doesn't doesn't last very long, okay. Um, and when we look at Moses's genealogy, he ain't got one, right? Like um, his kids don't inherit Moses's mantle; they end up going completely wayward. But um, but. Even though Aaron has a big sin, his kids continue the, the line, which is very interesting. Moses maintains the line. His kids go bad. Aaron has some indiscretions, but his kids do fine, which is interesting. Okay. Well, I see it as, and, as um, he just Ar spoke Aaron? about the ark. Sorry, Bernardo, go for it. Okay. As he just spoke about the ark. Yep. And now he's in a parenthesis speaking about who's going to have access to that ark. Could be. That, that could actually be the reason why this bit's inserted by a, by a redactor. He's got this information, which is in uh, first, uh, third person, and he just puts it in here because of that connection. That could be the connection why I put it in. It's possible. Yeah. Very okay. Cool. What I wanted to say was that um, even though God forgave... Um, Aaron for his misdeeds, but there was a judgment that was placed upon the whole community. Yeah. Uh, if we look at it in Numbers, um, in Numbers 14 from verse 20, it says, for these 10 times these people have vexed me, and um, even though I've forgiven them, but I'm going to, none of these people that have seen my glory will go into the land. And so... Um, even Aaron has in the glory of God. It was among those people that saw the glory of God so that he had to die before. And so the judgment was still upon them. Yeah, that could be it to too. read from Numbers 14 for verse 20, you will see that. Okay. Although that's really to do with the uh, judgment on the, the spies who came back with the bad report. Uh, is it? Yeah, Numbers 15. Yeah. Numbers, Numbers 14 is. Well, Numbers yes. 14, yeah. Yeah. Aaron can ask. Aaron can ask a question. Uh, if you look at verse eight, surely a clue stands in there where, where he says about the the house of Levi to stand before the Lord to minister unto Him and to bless in His name unto this day. Surely, there's the importance of, of what what Moses is driving at because you have to have a, a priesthood of, of believers if you like. It's if they are they are a, a royal priesthood. Does that make sense? This is what yeah. the Lord told them to be. So. That seems to be the center point. Yeah, I like that verse a lot um, because of the word to pronounce blessing. You know, um, the, the idea of blessing is incredibly important in the Bible and it's so overlooked in our modern world. No one ever wants a blessing. No one ever, you know, we want, we want birthday presents. We want, you know, we want dad's car keys. We don't want dad to say, uh, give a blessing. But in the Bible... That's actually what you do want. You know, you want the Lord to bless you and you want, you want the blessing of your father. And if you don't get it, boy, do you get angry like Jacob and Esau, right? You know, you stole my blessing. That was actually mine. Um, as opposed to, what are you worried about? You, your belly's full. You're doing great. Um, uh, yeah, this, this idea that you can bless in the name of the Lord and, and, and that idea that, uh, 
uh, you know, God says to Aaron, this is how you bless people. This is how your descendants and your family are going to bless Israel now. Um, and it's going to be quite special. So in relation to the death of Aaron, and it needs to be noted because you're eventually going to maybe meet somebody who might criticize the Bible because of it. You may as well just deal with it. Uh, it says in Deuteronomy that Aaron dies at a place called Mosera. Okay. However, in Numbers, that is not where he dies. Okay. In Numbers chapter 20, he dies at Mount Hor. Right? Numbers 20, 22, the whole Israelite community set out from Kadesh. They came to Mount Hor, at Mount Hor, near the border of Edom. Tells you exactly where it is. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, uh, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land that I give the Israelites because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. This is in the first part of chapter 20. And uh, so the first one off the ranks is Aaron. Aaron and his son Eleazar come up and then they do the whole symbolic removing of the garments and, uh, and they place and then uh, Aaron dies. And in verse 29, and when the whole Israelite, when the whole community heard Aaron had died, all the Israelites mourned for him for 30 days. Uh, what's so special about that is at the end of Deuteronomy, when um, Moses dies, not all the community uh, mourned for him, only uh, the men. And the rabbis go, hang on a second, why does everyone mourn for Aaron and only half the people mourn for Moses? What's wrong with Moses? And their answer is, well, he's just an angry old man, really. Um, uh, Aaron, Aaron gets the priesthood because he's compassionate, because he's merciful, because he's always kind, and you know, always has nice things to say. He gets to bless the people. And Moses just keeps yelling at people. He's always really angry and striking rocks, you know, and he's killing Egyptians. And, um, and so really Aaron was the, the, the one that Israel liked. Um, it's just one of those interesting little readings of the text and you go, okay, you spent lots of time dealing with who's mourning over which, which brother. How come you didn't fix up where, the, where they died then? Okay, because in uh, Numbers 20, he dies at Mount Hor. Anyone know where that is today? So is that... Edom. Is that sorry. Edom. Where is Edom today? It's uh, Petra. Edomites, that's on the... Oh, yeah, uh, I mean, I've, I've seen... Petra. Jordan? Yeah. You've been to Petra, Neville? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've yeah. seen at a distance. The, on the, it's on, on the, the left, peak, yeah. yeah. The, um, it's on the left if you're going to Petra on the left on the top, yeah. Yeah, so we actually did that, didn't we? We hopped on donkeys, went to Petra, and, and once you've done the tour down the bottom of Petra, you uh, get ripped off by some guy so you can hop on a donkey. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and, and you get taken up a hill. Um, and you're so thankful that the donkey's walking because it's just a steep ledge that falls right off and there is no railing. No thanks. And, and you swear you're going to die. <laughs> um, but all, all, the, all the little Bedouin boy can do is, well, one, he laughs at you, and the other thing he says, look, the donkey doesn't want to die, so you ain't going to die. And it's true. The donkey doesn't fall off. <laughs> and you get up to the top and then you have the tomb of Aaron. And they call the place uh, Jabal Harun, the, uh, the mountain of mountain of Aaron, or in Hebrew, Mount Hor. Okay. Um, for some reason, Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy has this other place, and it is not reconciled 
Okay, um, it doesn't. Uh, the, this, I, I had a good look through a bunch of different commentaries, including Jewish ones, trying to figure out if they had a good explanation, and there are none. They just miss it. Where is so Moserah? the the Hebrew text does say he was buried at Moserah. Yes. Or on the road between the wells and Moserah. Uh, when you have a look in Numbers 33, it gives you this long stage as to where, where they were here, when here, when here, when here. And uh, Moserah and Mount Hora are very, very far apart. Where is Moserah? I have no clue. It's, uh, I don't know ex where it exactly is. Uh, some people say that it's at the base of Mount Hermon. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Um, uh, we don't Just like from, from reading from the English text here. It it can I can interpret it as he died in the in the road, like in the way between point A and point B, right. not necessarily at point B. Right. Yeah. The point is is different. In 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 numbers, you definitely get a mountain and you definitely get God saying, Aaron's gonna die now, so get up here and do the whole switcheroony of uh of taking all his clothes off and put it on his son and and then they come down the mountain without him. Um it, it doesn't it just it does not make the Bible false, right? That's not what because that's what skeptics will always say. Aha! Okay, you've got this little issue, and therefore everything is wrong, and there's no God, and you're all just a product of chemical soup. So get on with it. Well, that's just a really poor piece of interpretation. Okay, <laughs> all right, that is it, that, that, that's that's what skeptics do, and they leap to the most horrible conclusions. Okay. Is um, there a rabbinical observation on that, Aaron, on that yeah. discrepancy? Uh, they say that there were two traditions. That's their, remember, in the rabbinical mind, they're always giving you two traditions or multiple versions or, and never coming to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. it, that infuriates usually Western Christians. <laughs> right? We always, you know, we always like, well, what's the conclusion? Well, they, they don't. Um, uh, they, they, you know, Rabbi so-and-so says this. Well, Rabbi so-and-so says the opposite. Which one's correct? They don't discuss it. And so it, it seems that there were two traditions as to where uh, Aaron was <laughs> And they don't care. <laughs> they really, they're really not bothered by where, where Aaron's buried, okay? Um, that's not, not their big issue. Their big issue is listen, we've got the words of God in our community, probably should do, it, do this. Um, because when we don't do it, bad things happen. And we've had bad things before. And we've had intermediaries uh, intercede for us. And that's been fantastic. So they're learning those things and they're not concerned about these other bits. So I would advocate that we would join them in that, that it really isn't that big a deal. Um, it is for some people, uh, and I don't think it should be. Um, the point is, as Vida was saying, that priesthood is finite. You've got to keep having kids so that you can perpetuate. Uh, if you wipe out, you know, the, the family line of uh, Aaron, we are in trouble. Okay? And, uh, and that's actually ended up what ended up happening. Okay? The Maccabees did that. They substituted the priesthood of Aaron for their own priests, which ended up being false high priests. So by the time you get to Jesus, they're constantly changing high priests, which should never have been the way. 
should have been priesthood for life. But that doesn't happen. Um, uh, verse 8, uh, which, which uh, David had mentioned, and, and something that I really like, is that uh, the Lord sets aside this tribe. There's a, this special group of people that are going to serve him. They're going to minister to him. They're going to be a, 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 they're gonna love and adore. That's going to be their job to serve the Lord. Other people got other jobs, and all jobs are, val are valuable. Someone's got to be a soldier. Someone's got to be the king. Someone's got to be the prophet. Someone's got to be the farmer. But there's also somebody got to work in the temple, and uh, it's going to be this special group. God calls but them. To that, Aaron, to that end, why I agree with uh, Vita that we will be priests and kings in the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek, yeah. The, the Levites and their job of performing offerings and taking care of all the necessary duties, that's not going to go away. When we see uh, in the book of Revelation, God and the Lamb are on the throne, we will always be bringing offerings to the Lord. And you got to have somebody who's going to do these jobs. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? So I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. that I don't disagree with Malchizedek, but you're still going to have these jobs that have to be done, and they're important duties. Yeah. So the line of the Levites is, will be important forever. I don't know that it gets terminated completely, but it changes, and we change in, into the order of Malchizedek. Yeah, I don't think our work ever stops. I think that relationship right. between God and man and careful universe is something that's just always going to be ongoing. Um, it's going to be a lot nicer when he's around to keep telling us what to do. Um, I mean, right. we do have the Holy Spirit now, but um, uh, with, with in God's presence. But like the Levites, it's, it's it, uh, working in the temple. It's the same aspect, man and God working together. Right? It's this, this constant thing. And then it, one part of man and God working together is it brings blessing. Okay? It brings blessing to people. Just like in, in the prophets, like we heard from Michael Niebuhr, um, the, the prophets eventually say that Israel is going to bless the nations. This, this idea of God and man working together is going to be so powerful, it's going to affect the entire world. And the entire world is going to receive a blessing because of it. Um, and that is, that is a, a great future uh, for all of us. Okay? Um, and I, I like the way that uh, the, the periscope says, you know, and the Levites, well, they're blessing the people as, as they're still doing to this day. We're not 100% sure when it was added in, but obviously the Levites are very active in, in the community, uh, including blessing the, the people. Could have been while the tabernacle was in Shiloh, okay? Um, and so it also describes why the Levites have no share or inheritance. So this, this could be explaining to readers or hearers you know, we've got territory, Dan uh, got territory, Judah's got territory, why have the Levites only got a bunch of cities? It's reflecting, well, this is the reason why again, okay? They had a special job. Moses came down, he put the, he put the tablets inside the ark, the ark was very special, and it needed to be guarded and, and, and served, and the Levites are doing it, and, and look what they're still doing today. They're still doing it uh, for us. And their inheritance is God. And uh, which is a which is a pretty powerful inheritance, really. I mean, um, yeah. yeah. A lot of people say, "Oh, wouldn't it be nice to come from the tribe of, of, of Judah, or wouldn't it be good to, to be Benjamin and be like Saul?" Well, Levi gets uh, gets the Lord as inheritance. That's pretty darn special. <laughs> um, that's not a bad tribe to be a member of. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Uh, uh, um, let me just make a comment there on the on the priesthood. Um, I've always felt that the priesthood is going to revert back to the order of Melchizedek. And um, because um, the order of Melchizedek was the order was pre, pre-Levites. In other words, it was the firstborn. And if you see in the New Testament, it says that um, Christ has become our first fruit and has become the firstborn of the church. And so, in other words, the, the, the new era will be um, the era of the firstborn, which is the church today and which is going to be the priest. So everybody's going to be priest and Christ is going to be the high priest because he's not of the tribe of Levi, but he's going to be the high priest. And so yeah. he's going to make everybody a firstborn. And so that is how the order is going to change. And of course, if you see during the, his trial with Cephas, Cephas, the high priest, is not supposed to mourn or rend his garment. And you see if Cephas, you know, tearing his garments before Yeshua, thinking, okay, you have blasphemed, you say you're God. And, you know, and that already disqualifies that order of um, the Levitical order. Well, so he, he, we're he, going to see that uh, manifested in the end time. Yeah. But of course, I don't know how it's going to work. No, I don't think it is 100%. But um, we, we as, uh, as members of priests of all believers, yes, uh, we, we lodge in the order of Melchizedek that uh, Gentile order that was there before Abraham, which is very interesting. But it reminds us that Jews and Gentiles were always meant to be together because they worship together, do they not? Yes, they Absolutely. Do. Yeah. All right. So, brothers and sisters, uh, I enjoyed our study. Thank you very much. I know we didn't quite finish the small chapter, but um, the next part uh, is a really nice part uh, because it shows us the heart of where Moses is trying to go with his retelling. Um, when, when, when we get to the summation, what does the, the Lord require of you, O man? Right? We could all say Micah 6.8, but it was already there in Deuteronomy. Right? Uh, fear the Lord, love him, serve him, walk humbly, heart and soul. There's a lot, lot there to talk about uh, next week, which we will. And um, great. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.